everything that that's kind of informed my life and really given me this bliss of a life experience was out of my control. So I've gotten really good at kind of listening and trusting that like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go and this is gonna this is gonna work out in some in some way. Welcome to the Our Nature Podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. A warm welcome to Our Nature. If you're new to the podcast, I'm very grateful that you're taking the time to listen along. If you're a returning Our Nature listener, welcome back to episode 34 of the podcast. I've been thinking a lot about how our physical presence transforms the natural world, and not in a macro or extreme manner, like with the destruction of our Earth's natural resources though I think about that often. Rather, in a more subtle way, in terms of how nature shifts in response to our arrival to a particular space. In episode 22, featuring biomimicry student Azita Ardkani, she talks about adopting the practice of sitting for at least 10 minutes in nature and observing how the environment begins to transform once the animals and plants have grown accustomed to your presence. I'm currently reading a memoir called Dawn Again, Tracking the Wisdom of the Wild by Donaga Markegaard, which I will link to in the show notes. In it, Donaga talks about how learning to move undetected in nature a skill required for wildlife tracking, brought her closer to joy and presence. She writes, quote, I sense the language of nature going on all around me. I sense the freedom from the confines of form, structure, and law, like the clouds moving into an area and moving out, part of the unfolding of all life. This awareness came from the silence. I learned to listen for the silence, between the notes of a great horned owl's call or the pause of a ruby-crowned kinglet as it landed on the ground to feed. When in the silence, I transcended fears and doubt and only felt happiness and connection to nature. Nothing but that moment in time existed. This passage made me wonder, how many moments in nature have I actually stopped and remained still in order to witness the wildness around me? How many times have I listened for the silence? In reality, not many. And it made me contemplate what richness I was losing by only connecting to the natural world through my disturbance. Out of dozens of walks and hikes I've taken since May when I left New York City, I recall the one time 
my partner David and I sat down on a small wooden bridge over a stream in order to pause long enough to take in the refreshing sounds of the trickling water. The intention was to remain still only for a brief moment. But as we sat quietly, eyes fixed on the mossy banks before us, we saw them. At least five frogs, almost indistinguishable from the moss and twigs around them, save for their bright golden-green eyes that every few minutes would slightly shift. We were so still and quiet that after some time we became just another living part of our lush environment. It felt almost sacred, observing these frogs without any indication they were observing us. There is so much for us to discover when we can embrace the stillness in nature and in turn befriend the stillness within ourselves. How can we connect to nature if we spend all of our time moving through the environment, creating a disturbance that is not itself unnatural, but neglecting the connection that comes from pausing and becoming the backdrop of the scene around us? Going forward, My hope is to spend less time moving and more time relaxing into my surroundings, embracing its stillness and silence as a true path to presence. This week's episode is about the search for meaning and fulfillment and the unexpected places it leads. It comes by way of Ethan DiLorenzo, a father, permaculture farmer, a multidisciplinary artist who lives in an eco-village on Vashon, a rural island off the coast of Washington State. Ethan climbed the ladder of success in the music industry, beginning as an assistant to mixer and engineer Ryan West, who has worked with Rihanna, Eminem, Jay-Z, and Usher. Ethan then formed a band with Tiana Taylor, and continued to rise in the industry as a producer and engineer. But after achieving a remarkable amount of success in his early 20s, he began to seek a different kind of life, one closer to the land and in alignment with his own values. It's an incredible story, and I want Ethan to share it in his own words. Here are some of the topics we discuss. Ethan's early career in the music industry and the vacation with Rihanna that set him on a new course on how the birth of his child with actress Jenna Malone brought him closer to his purpose. What it was like to leave Hollywood for Vashon Island. What life is like in his eco-village the importance of elders and learning from indigenous wisdom, Ethan's rituals for living in harmony with nature, and so much more. I asked Ethan to be a guest on the podcast because he's someone who, after achieving all of the cultural markers of success, still felt like something was missing. It takes courage to turn away from material gain and towards a quieter, although I'd argue richer experience. In his unfolding journey, Ethan teaches us that happiness and fulfillment 
can be found in simple, purposeful living. So let's get into it. Welcome to my conversation with Ethan DiLorenzo. So tell me where you are right now, or tell the listeners where you are. Yes, I am currently in the beginning of our orchard, um, our apple orchard, and it's located on Vashon, Washington. Um, It's a little island, like 20, you can only get to by ferry. Um, And it's about, it's about a 20 minute ferry ride. And um, I live in like a little eco village with, about six to eight others, depending on the time of the year. And um, we have a farm here and we have the orchard. Um, and I started like a little a little outdoor mushroom kind of experiment. So I grow some mushrooms as well. And um, the best thing about the Pacific Northwest is there's like a bunch of just the, the nature up here. There's so much mushrooms and so many things to forage. Um, so I'm always kind of foraging and making things as well. And how is the climate there right now? That's a great question. It's definitely, we, we've had like a weird week or two before um, because of the fires. Um, my past, I've been up here for four years now. And um, the past couple of years, we'd get some smoke from fires, but usually they were farther away, like British Columbia. And I guess because they were so close, they were in Eastern Washington, just over the Cascades. Um, we've gotten a lot of smoke this year, um, which is not uncommon to the rest of the West coast right now. Um, a lot of people dealing with it. So it's definitely an, an, I've had some interesting days, like pretty eerie, like really living into the, to having to adapt and be aware of, you know, all of our, our actions as humans. And living out on that Island, how connected do you feel to, I guess, Seattle is the closest major city do you have a sense that you're on an island and it's like an entity unto itself or does it feel kind of just, you know what I mean? Like you still feel connected to the rest of the country. It's this, it's, it's, I'm I'm glad you asked this question. It's so funny. Like anytime I go to the city or like say I travel, um, my son lives, I have a four-year-old son named Ode and he lives, his mother lives in Los Angeles. So half time we travel a lot back and forth essentially. So I do have to leave um, often and anytime I kind of come back and you get on that ferry and the ferry like lets you off into the island, it's just like, you're on this like oasis. It's just like, just like this, this wave like kind of takes over you. And it's, it's, it's a wild feeling because most of my life I've never really felt like um, a feeling of home. And it's the first time I've ever felt that like very pure and intentional feeling of home. Um, And that's really what we've been kind of creating here which I'm so thankful for. Um, But yeah, as far as like going to Seattle, I find myself like the first few years I lived here, I maybe went to the city like three or four times. Um, And now given, um, I have like a built-in community here because we live with others and the island isn't so small. Um, It's, it's the, the community here is amazing. Like on the island, everyone's really connected. They've been handling the pandemic really well. Um, So 
there is a sense of community built in. I was reading about the island and it said it's the size of Manhattan. It's such a, it's fun. I can see how it's the same size. I remember, I recall reading that as well. But yeah, it, it's a completely different feeling than Manhattan. Um, I lived when I was my like first four years after I graduated, I lived, lived in Brooklyn and I worked primarily in, in Manhattan. So like, I, I know the, I know that island as well. And it's, it's a completely different feeling. Um, but I, lo- I, I love Manhattan as well. It's just a whole different life experience. I want to talk more about your life on the island, but I'd love to get into your journey to get to where you are now. Um, And I know you grew up in Pennsylvania. Talk to me about what your connection to nature, if there was a connection, was like when you were growing up. Yeah. Um, It's funny. I think until I moved to like Brooklyn or like lived in LA, I didn't realize like nature was just there. I was never like this thing I sought out. Um, um, I grew up in a small coal mining town in Pennsylvania. Nature was close, but we lived like on a city block essentially in like a, you know, um, a lower income neighborhood. Um, So, but yeah, it was always kind of around, I think my grandmother really instilled nature in me. Um, both of my grandparents on my mother and father's side, like my, my grandfather and grandmother, like had a rose garden and had some like orchard trees and grew blueberries. And so I was always on like the periphery of my childhood. Um, and didn't really notice that it it mattered to me until I didn't have it until it wasn't around. Um, so I think I had a whole journey of like growing up in the middle of nowhere with like no opportunity just like factory town you know kind of coal mining town um I didn't like how I'm built and what I'm kind of what my skills are like it never really fit in there so that's what led me to moving to um to Brooklyn first when that graduation night of high school and I was I was I was pretty quick to be in the music industry um I started out working with this um this mix engineer in recording studios, his name is Ryan West. And he's worked on like, he was at the time he was working a lot with um, this producer, Just Blaze, which is, so we were, we started out at like Jay-Z studio. It was called Baseline Studio. Working with like Rihanna, TI. I remember like one of the first projects we did was Kid Cudi. I remember he was like working with Eminem. So I kind of, I was just like, a, like his, like his assistant. Um, and how I got that gig from a shitty town in Pennsylvania was the internet much like how I connected with you. I was just like a weird little teenager who loved music and would read the liner notes of my albums and just like search them and like send them messages and got myself an opportunity from just being really young and eager. That's Um, amazing. Did you, at the time, did you want to become a producer? Is that the career that you wanted? I think for me, it was like, I didn't know I was so naive. I was just a kid who like knew I loved this thing and it made me feel something. And like, I, I remember, I think music for me um, growing up was like an escape. Um, it was like, I felt seen by it. People would talk about their emotions, their feelings. And, you know, it was someone who would li- like, didn't listen to me, but like related with me. So I was always kind of seeking that connection, I think, through music. Um, but yeah, so that's what music was for me. I think just kind of chasing that, that emotional connection. And um I knew that I had a technical brain, so I knew that I can have, uh, that I can like be of service in that regard to artists. 
little did I know that like I had all those like I did want to be more of a producer and have more of a role and you know later down the road not so far down the road I ended up getting more responsibility and being in more producer roles yeah so talk about that time you were in Brooklyn for how long doing what I think it was like two years and then um like working in studios I was working with Ryan and then I um I ended up getting a job at the cutting room I remember like you know that was like the Roots, John Legend, uh, you know, all different types. When you're in a studio, just like everyone kind of comes through, just a hired hand. And anyway, so yeah, I, I, I got to a point in the studio system that like I didn't really enjoy that, like just being the hired hand feeling. Um, I wanted to have like a deeper connection because like what I saw from being in those sessions is like you, um, you really get, you have to deepen your connection with people to really create some incredible things. And um, so from that on, I had this intention to kind of get on a team. And I remember this this girl, Tiana Taylor from Harlem, she was, um, she reached out, she's like, hey, I'm trying to start a band. And I was like, I kind of drummed a little when I was, uh, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I made like a little home <laughs> studio. I was like, sure, I'll just send like, you know, no one ever told me I was, how I was as a drummer. Like I didn't have any like feedback loops. It was just something I, I did. Um, a casual so I drummer. <laughs> Yeah, casual drummer. So I reached out and like sent her a photo and like a drumming sample because I knew how to record. And I ended up becoming, she just like put that on, on all the internet. I think it was like MySpace at the time. And somehow I ended up getting chosen. <laughs> Luck, for sure. But anyway, so she was at, she was signed to Pharrell at the time. And they were starting this band that was called UGLY, <laughs> Underneath Greatness Lies You. Fortunately, now you cannot search it. It's been erased from everything, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were signed to Pharrell and uh, some other people. And long story short, made a bunch of songs, was in that band, got us to move to LA. And then Tiana um, got signed by Kanye and kind of went and did her solo thing. And then from there, I went on and kind of kept producing and working with some of the other people I met through that, through that experience with her. Um, so I was in LA, like doing the LA thing and very what immersed. What year was this? Um, I think it was like 2011 to like 2014, um, maybe 2010. Yeah. It was like, I think I went, we got to LA in 2010 as a band mm -hmm. and like recorded for that first year. Um, and then yeah, Kanye took her and I'm so, I don't know if anyone like, knows her music and stuff which I'm really proud of her she's like really um realized herself as an artist and she's an amazing mother she just had another kid um she's a really strong woman I listened to her latest album did you like it yeah it was incredible yeah she's she's amazing um and yeah Kanye is really good in that regard of like you know harnessing talent and helping people like realize parts of themselves so when you were in this world, the music industry, I guess, were you, did you feel like you had made it in your career? Like, were, was this what you wanted to do? And did you feel that you had gotten to the point that you had thought about when you were younger? For sure. My dreams were so surface level, I think. Like it was, it's that whole thing from a small town and someone who doesn't see it's like, fame and fortune is so far away and yeah. somehow I was either prepared or like somehow got to be close to that because I know a lot of people try to and don't quite get there 
And yeah, from my experience in that, it was with my surface dreams. Yeah, I was, I was part of it. I saw the world. These people were friends of mine and peers and I loved it for a certain amount. And then I think the reality of it, I think other things started coming up for me. I was like living in the city. I was like, okay, what do I really want at this? It's like, well, I don't really feel good. Like, okay, yeah, I could get a cool car or live in this thing or be with a pretty girl. And it's like, I don't know, all that kind of didn't, wasn't really fulfilling. I was like, oh wait, how did I get here? Why am I here? And I started asking questions. And then like, I think part of my identity started coming back of like where I grew up with my family and what I was connected to and what really mattered. And that was just like a, a whole confusing process for a while. But I think, I think I wouldn't have asked those questions if I never had that opportunity to get close to it. You know, like whether it's like, you know, being with like Rihanna and Chris Brown in Hawaii and just like seeing that life that everyone's trying to attain, you think, or has an interest in and like being like, no, I'm not happy here. And just like realizing I'm on this beautiful island in this situation and I'm not like, it's not fulfilling me. I wonder with a lot of people who change, make a radical change in their life, you know, it's really interesting to me that inflection point of when it sort of crystallizes for someone that they want to make that change. I think for some people it happens in a bunch of small steps and for some it's a big situation, you know, it's like a a specific situation that happens where they, I mean, maybe it's been building for some time and then something happens and they kind of have this realization of like, this isn't what I want or this is not fulfilling me anymore. So um, you mentioned Rihanna and Chris Brown. Were you working with them Um, or? Chris was, Chris was involved with our, record deal because his one his brother was in the band with us his brother was like one of the guitar players so we got close to chris um like i lived me and my girlfriend at the time lived with chris when we first moved to la so he was like he's still like family to me and um you know i have a lot of obviously that's like a complex thing to talk about on a human level and i don't think this maybe is the space but i will say i like hold a lot of appreciation for him and the duality of that situation um as well as Rihanna, me and Rihanna have the same birthday. Anyway, okay, so that's your question. We, me and Rihanna have the same birthday. So as like Which a, is a what? thing, February twentieth, we're Pisces. Okay. Um, Pisces. I'm a Scorpio, yeah. so water, water likes water. Yes, I love Scorpios. I have some amazing Scorpio people in my life. So yeah, it was both of our birthdays, and they were going to Hawaii, and they're like, "Oh, you should come." So it was kind of just like that. So it was more of a leisure trip, and. It was really special. I mean, well, yeah, I'll try to stay on top of it. It was really special. And um, I ended up like, you know, um, how do I talk about this? The realization, that that trip was actually pretty pivotal in this. Um, at the time, I was experimenting with psychedelics and not like in a um, party manner, in more a ritual manner. Um, mushrooms, pr- mushrooms usually. Um, I, I think I started tripping like a year before that trip. And um, I think that really helped with my kind of ego death and disillusion and really getting some clarity on my questions of why, um, getting answers to those questions. And I think as anything, like you learn something and you slowly wake up to it that you can bring action into your life. And on that trip, I remember Rihanna giving me mushrooms 
and it was the darkest trip I've ever had. <laughs> uh, I was like feeling everything. Where were you? Were you outside or were you in a house? So we, we, we had like this kind of complex um, and we started at the house on the beach and then we ended up going to like North shore to go jet ski with like these surfers. And it was on mushrooms. Yeah. There was like, there was a lot of people and that's the other thing. Like you feel the expectations of Mm -hmm. like your people that are, because these people have teams and like they want to be entertained or they, you know, there's expectation. I felt the expectation as a sensitive person alone, but then add mushrooms to it. And, you know, people can say what they want about, Oh, you're on drugs. You can't let that like, but I really, that feeling that day really brought clarity to me. And I think of like ego and what I really wanted for my life and what felt um, authentic to me. And um, yeah, from after that day, like I love, I have so much love for Rihanna and I got to talk to her about like how I felt after that, like that night. And we like had like a compassionate understanding and, and, but yeah, after that trip ended and just the whole, I'm a really sensitive person. So just that whole energy of like the expectation I went in on that trip and then what I actually left with was, um, yeah, really informative for me. And, um, that led to more clarity on like how I moved in my career and then to essentially meeting the mother of my child and I'd say the the birth of my child really is what brought in extreme action um, and clarity. Can you say more about that? What was it about your child being born? We um, conceived of Ode on a road trip across the country um, and I, you know I was madly in love and like when she told me she was pregnant I was just like you know that can go either way when you're not planning and I like the the initial feeling when she told me was like I was so happy, like I it, it was I felt such purpose and like I was prepared for it. And at this time I was twenty four, twenty five, I think twenty five. So I was a you know I'm a young dad, and um, slowly through that process of you know we moved we moved her and I um, my son's mom is her name's Jenna Malone and she's an actress um, and we were together at the time and then moved out of LA when we found out we were pregnant. We were living in downtown LA at the time. Um, to like, we, le- we moved just south of Big Sur and we kind of just got to nest there and build a home and um, kind of be pregnant. And I got to like nurture her and we got to like kind of try to prepare and work for this thing. And all through that process of really connecting to her and like not working and just being able to be present in those processes and slow down in this, um, in a place of beautiful nature, like the central coast. Um, I just, my, I don't know. I just started getting these like little messages. Like I started working on music for him to sleep to and like writing things for him that like, you know, um, and once he was born, it was kind of just, I could look in his eyes and I like knew what he needed, like this kind of nature immersion or connection to, to the land. And like all through that time that we were nesting and she was pregnant, I was like, and her as well, we were really interested in permaculture um, and studying and, and um, learning about farming and growing our own food. And that was, that was kind of the time where everything shifted and we started moving from like these ideas to like, oh, this is kind of immediate. This is the life that we want for our family and how we want to raise our kid. And we started kind of gaining the tools to prepare for that. What was that process like for her? Because 
I'm sure people listening know of her and she had and has, I mean, I don't know. I don't keep up with everything, but you know, she was like an actress, a wanted actress. You know, she probably had a lot of work available to her in Hollywood. And so was that a decision you both made together? Was that something that she had been contemplating too, to kind of step back a bit and, and remove herself and, and, you know, take a different path in the same way that you had been thinking, or did you each Mm. kind of support each other down that road? I think Ode had a lot to do with it, to be honest. Like, um, I think we both were kind of getting this, like this, this getting driven in a direction from him. Um, but on her own, even without me, I think she's an incredibly like intelligent and beautiful person. And I know she took like permaculture classes and was interested in these things, before she met me. So I think she's always had an interest in, um, she's always had some type of voice in her that was other than what she's known as in her career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's, I think, I think that's always been challenging for her to navigate. I think, I think Hollywood is, is challenging for anyone to navigate. I hear a lot of actors have like, you know, issues with that. Um, but I think together we, we were a team, you know, at the time and we had this, this reason to do it. So we, you know, we were able to come together and we, that was one thing we did align on. So um, that led to essentially us moving out of, once Ode was, after he was one, we moved from that small like house. It wasn't a small house. We had this house on the water. Um, we moved from there and we moved into my van, which is back there. I don't know if you could see it. Yeah, I <laughs> it's see just, a little bit. <laughs> it's a, it's like an old Volkswagen van from the eighties. And we kind of tricked it out, made sure it was like going to be able to make the trip. And we, moving to that as a family to go look for farmland or like a intentional community to, to move to. And a little bit before we like made that jump of a move, I was going to places around the U S like visiting intentional communities. And they're also different and have such different setups. Um, So it was really going to be like a, we were, we were prepping to maybe live in the van for like a year or, or so, you know, depending on how that journey went. Did that lead you to eventually find the island that you lived on now? Yes, in a in a more um, adapting and uh, traumatic way. So on that trip, which you could imagine, it's hard for anyone to live in a small in small quarters. In a van, <laughs> I would never do that. Bless you. <laughs> especially with a new kid, and like yeah. you know, her and I, her and I had our ups and downs. We're just like uh, I, I, you know, love her so much as a co-parent and love for very much at that time um, in my life but we just you know we're not meant to be like life partners like that living in the same space so we figured that out on that trip and um separated and she at the time her mom just moved up near the Seattle area so and we were kind of going up the coast so we went and did this cob building class in in Oregon where we built like this cob house with like 40 other people yeah, it was really awesome because um, we want, you know, we really wanted to like hopefully build our own home someday, have our own farm. And when we separated, you know, I kind of for me, I, it was a little bit of a shock, like because I, I, I came from a divorced family. So I never I always like, you know, you tell like that narrative I put in my head like, oh, I, I won't ever my kid will never be from a divorced family. So I had to like reckon with that a little bit. And um, but in that regard, it, having to deal with that, it was easy for me to keep on the trajectory of like, okay, this is the life I want for my son. So 
I lived until I found this place on Vashon in that I, I ended up staying with this two, these two gay men um, in outside of Olympia. They had a farm and they kind of took me in and I lived in my van for a couple months there and, you know, would see my son and get to like, Ode would come and I'd go see him. Like we, we were figuring out how to co-parent. Um, and then sh- she decided that she was going to stay up in this area. And I found in that regard, I wanted to be closer to Ode and closer to them. So I, I luckily like through a Craigslist ad, like I, I found out later, like the day that they put that up, like I responded like 10 minutes later. After oh, they wow. put up the, post. It, the universe then, sent that to you. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And I didn't know, like the only thing I knew about Vashon is a few years ago, a uh, few years before I was working on this uh, record with my friend, Joe McKee. He's like an Australian musician and um, at like a weed farm. And the guy who was like the dad of the people who had the weed farm, like lived on Vashon. That's like, I was like, oh, cool. An island in the Pacific Northwest. That sounds epic. Um, and then I ended up living here. And it was, it's where I live now is this like um, small forming kind of community um, that's always flowing. Like we've had, like when I moved here, there was a lawyer living here. There was a doctor living here. Um, so like for like a good year or so, my son's like doctor was like a couple doors down, you know, if he was sick, it's like, oh yeah, just do this. And, and it's been amazing. And then the farm, there was a farmer here for the first year and I ended up um, helping kind of learn from him. And then I ended up from that kind of just like doing a Hail Mary and I got a job at a farm on the island where I was like the main farmer and I was managing, um, I was managing an orchard and raspberries, blueberries, um, pumpkins, strawberries, tomatoes, like this kind of small community garden, um, community farm. It wasn't small, it was like two acres. Um, and, and then, yeah, after that, I ended up, we ended up transitioning the farm on the, on the community that I live in to a co-op farm. So we had a bunch of families. the transition like or was there a transition was there a sort of a culture shock I mean I would imagine going from living in LA to living in your van maybe being a little difficult sounds like it was um but even from there what was it like to then come to Vashon and transition into this farm culture well, not only that, but like having a small child, you know. Yeah, raising a child. Yeah, yeah. doing that. Yeah, I think before anything, ever since my son's been born, like it was always father first. Um, it's just how I'm 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 wired for him. It's just my connection with him. So for me, it was finding a place quickly that I can that can be home and safe and stable for him and provide him a good life. Um, so. I think for a while there was like kind of putting myself aside and like just doing what I had to, to have a place for him. Um, The transition from, I think I've dealt, I think the transition from like LA Hollywood, you know, industry thing to the more suburban and slower 
life, the more the the life more intentional for me and more connected to nature. Um, I think I processed a lot of that around when we were waiting for Ode to be born because we made that move up to Northern California. And um, so the, the transition, I wanted it, um, I think. I wanted this life and it was really, it felt chaotic at first coming to Vashon and just like kind of rolling with the punches because none of it was like the plan. But it was one of those things, like I feel like I was just listening and, and just flowing and trusting. And I know that's like sometimes challenging for people to be out of control, but a little bit of what you've probably heard from, you know, the story I've spoken about prior of my life is like everything that that's been, that's kind of informed my life and really given me this bliss of a life experience was out of my control. So I've gotten really good at kind of listening and trusting that like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go and this is going to, this is going to work out in some, in some way. And has it? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love my life. Um, I love it up here. I mean, I, so like fast forward to present time right now, um, just this area, this part of the world feels like, I just love the climate from growing up in Pennsylvania, like the seasons alone. And being learning the process of farming, like being connected to the trees, like pruning the trees and, you know, growing crops, um, connecting to those slower processes has informed and made me such a better person and more patient and given me tools to be a good father and, you know, to, to listen and like being connected to those processes and sharing that with my son, you know, like, um, he asked like how do seeds grow and like loves picking the apples and, uh, and then we get to share that with his small friends and have them over and they get to play in the dirt together. You know, it's like, I, I feel so privileged that, you know, I was on this path because obviously fast forward now the pandemic and like, it's just wild for people. And I have so much, I don't want to say sympathy, but I feel a lot for people right now because it's really a challenging transition given, uh, the situation most people are in, you know, in cities or in places where they're career driven or dependent on work, you know, it's really hard to navigate this because everything's kind of like, wait, what's real? What matters? Yeah, it made me think about how our man-made, when this pandemic happened, it was so clear to me how quickly all of like the man-made structures just crumbled. Yeah. And how fragile they were and how how fragile people's connection to them was. So when they yeah. weren't there, it just, I think people really had a hard time, which I understand. I mean, I am deeply connected to those systems as well. Um, something that I, I just also think about is not only maybe how nature has impacted your life or changed your life being on the farm but on top of that being part of and you talked about an intentional community can you share more about what that is because I've been thinking a lot about this idea of you know right now I'm sitting looking out on this beautiful lake in Vermont and I'm surrounded by nature and it's wonderful but I'm isolated, you know, mostly Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. 
And there is something that's missing when you're connecting with nature in isolation. There's something that's gained, but then there's something that's missing. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about the intentional community and what that has brought to your life as well. Yeah. A few things are going through my head with that question. One is like, there's a book called Creating a Life Together, which I would recommend to anyone who's interested in intentional communities and building them. Um, It's a really good book that walks you through the process because I know that a lot of my friends and people are talking about this and it's kind of a dream uh, for people to get land, live with other people or, you know, just have their own land. And um, a huge, a huge um, aspect of human happiness is connection to people. And what I've experienced when I was traveling around and looking for farms and visiting intentional communities is like, you have to really know what you're looking for because you can find some land for cheap, but it's in the middle of nowhere and all your neighbors think differently than you and you may not feel safe. Or you go to some place and you find great land for cheap and it's beautiful, it's right by a creek and yada, 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 but they don't, there's no like kids. 20 miles around if you have a family, you know? So it's like, you really have to ask yourself all of these questions. And I think I was fortunate to come to this island. And when I did get off the ferry, like there's such a presence of um, young families here and lots of kids. And like, so like, for example, like Halloween here, the whole middle of the town closes and everyone's just, you don't go to like door to door. You just go to the middle of town and all of the kids are there. You know, the community here is incredible. Um, and that was a huge part of why I like chose to be here opposed to like in Olympia with those amazing, um, farmers that took me in because it was just right for Ode. And yeah, in general, the, some connection to community or people I think is, is vital for living a life with nature immersion and, you know, being aware of nature deficit disorder. I think you I think you definitely have to have a connection to nature, but that connection to nature will only get you so far if you're not connected to other humans. Um, So however you can do that, there's many other ways to adapt, obviously like Zoom and the internet is great. Um, But I think there is something to be said about physicality and human touch and yeah, being in the same space as people, which is definitely being challenged right now um, with the pandemic. and how that's affected me. Like I haven't really gotten to farm much this year. Um, I was in the pen, I was down in, because my son was at the time in LA when the pandemic hit and, you know, flying was bad. So I went down there for the first three months, which all of my incredible seeds and stuff, I didn't really get to, 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 to plant this year. And also I farm with other people who are older. Um, so for their safety in that time, I didn't really get to. So I've been foraging mainly this year and, you know, there's little parts of the garden that I'm like safe to go to, but, I've definitely, it's been, I've had to adapt to it in our setup and that's even outside, you know, there it's, we're all just kind of navigating it right now. So you've been isolated a bit more from your community because of the pandemic too? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, 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 um, I usually garden with Stacy, Barb and Doug and they're all 40 plus. When I was Traveling to the different intentional communities, one thing that was really important to me was the term they use in like the lingo is multi-generational. So like children, elders, and like, you know, people in the middle. And every intentional community is really different because we're doing it within a realm and bubble of capitalism, 
which is extremely hard to do um, when everything's based on like profit. So you need usually elders who have, you know, kind of more money or like there's like land trust situations, but that's, that's kind of the general of sometimes why they're multi-generational. But for me in regard, I just, I love elders so much and have such respect. And I think, I know I had so much to learn and it's extremely humbling. So like Doug, for example, like he's one of the owners of the land and he's been, his like family is like Vashon for like, you know, centuries. Um, so I learned a lot about the land from him. Like he grew up, like he knows the birds, he knows the seasons, he knows, he like built sailboats. So like, he knows when the winds change and like, um, and I get to learn that from like building with him. You know, we, we did like a timber frame building project where we built like this farm, you know, this farmhouse. And um, I learned so many skills from him and I get to be kind of this apprentice in something that I'm interested in when a lot of people usually have to like find like workshops or pay for it or something. It's like, I get paid to do it <laughs> or like money off, like how much I pay a month, you know, there's like this like permaculture setup that's kind of, trying to be fluid within capitalism um which is really cool and yeah barb barb is really she it was she's really connected she has a, a, an amazing green thumb and like a lot of knowledge on gardening and farming she's been doing it for a while so it was it was helpful for me to like gain confidence by having someone to kind of show me um when i was really just kind of green in it and now i have that confidence to a point where i'm able to like question her methods and have my own methods. And, you know, I've like been learning more of indigenous practices of how they manage land. And like, so I've taken, this is another cool thing that's happened in the pandemic. I've been able to take another part of the land and kind of start cultivating it to, you know, do like three sisters growing processes and, um, and just manage the land different, less of a, like a Western kind of uh, meticulously weeded kind of, um, can you talk more about that? I'm curious. What what is that that you're doing? Yes. Um, well, right now it's it, to begin. It's just kind of trying to listen to the. It's all based around soil and soil management and like what's in the soil. So it's like a mixture of permaculture and and kind of indigenous practices. So a lot of the indigenous stuff is just based on like the kind of seeds I'm growing and how I'm going to be seed saving. Um, and what I grow and like how I companion plant. So like a, a large, a, a big one that most people know of is Three Sisters, which is corn, beans, and squash. Um, but I've gotten a bunch of like these um, Baker Creek um, seeds. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, I, I, I hope some of our- oh Are my. they heirloom? They're heirloom? Yeah, they're heirloom organic. They're like from, they're like seeds passed down from actual, you know, indigenous tribes. Um, and so I've gotten some of these really special seeds and um, and I'm essentially, you know, managing and preparing the soil and the land. So next year I can do this process and do the seeds. I was going to do it this year, but because I was in LA, it's gotten pushed back. That's amazing. Um, another great book in that is there's a book called Tending the Wild, which really kind of talks about you know, things that are being brought up in memes right now, like, oh, you know, these fires wouldn't be happening if we just let indigenous people manage the land. And they really knew the land and, and understood how it worked and what was beneficial for it. And um, there's a lot to learn. For me, like the simplest way I can say about how we prepare for going forward is go back and study and respect these elders and their knowledge while they're still here 
and we can learn from them because it's I think it's really vital for our our growth forward and survival as a human species. I would agree with you. And I've been really intrigued by this idea. I, I came across it on an Instagram post. Um, it's not a new concept, but I think it was a new concept to me about yeah. this idea that wilderness, untouched wilderness is a colonial concept. And the idea that if you go back and you study the indigenous cultures, they were, they had a very participative relationship with the forests and they did a lot of, you know, the forests were not as dense as they are now because they did a lot of controlled burns. They did a lot of like forest management. They were, they did a lot of like, you know, they didn't necessarily like clear certain areas of the land, but the way that they interacted naturally shaped the way the forest looked. Yeah, that's, yeah, how they managed the forests. And they were just aware of all the process. They were connected. They were, they had the time to listen and they were present. And that's like a huge part of farming or any, any connection to nature is that's kind of radical from, you know, the systems that we grow up in as humans um, in society. It's like, it's such a different pace, you know. I think it's important that we hold, you know, we hold space and kind of cultivate that connection to a slower, to a slower life um, and being really observant to nature. And, you know, all this seems kind of (laughs) nuanced or esoteric right now speaking about it, but it feels really important to me for like how I see life going with all the challenges we're faced right now with, you know, the pandemic and the fires and just everything in society, like capitalism being really challenged in its current form. And I think it's, it may sound weird or like out of place, but I think it really is important for, for most people in their lives to really slow down and like try to learn some of this stuff. Um, or yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so hard to have this conversation because every person's different. I know like so many people are really involved in like the, the political um, climate right now. Let's talk about what slowing down then has brought to your life. What has slowing down done for you? So for me, I grew up, this is, I don't know why my brain just went here, but to, to kind of go into it, like I grew up going to like the beach. Like that's what we did as family vacations. We go to the same beach every year for like a week. And I remember as a kid, like my parents would just sit on the beach for like eight hours and that like kind of, so I just had to like, and everything of where I grew up, there was like nothing going on. I was just in the forest with my imagination and like at the beach with my imagination. So I've always kind of had it in me since I was a kid to be able to kind of cope in those situations and like make, bring it alive. Um, And what I've learned is like now having a child is like my vacations are going to national parks and state parks and like going camping with him and like, you know, I'm aware of all the saturation of, you know, information and media. And I think that's great. I don't want to hold that from my son. I want him to still be of the world, but I also want to balance that with tools and connection of like, oh, this is what it feels like to, to move at this pace. And um, this is what it's like to, to be on a trail for four, for four days. And this is, we only have this much to eat and this is how we get water. So for me, I think it's having a child that makes it makes me really aware of um 
giving him opportunities to slow down and have that connection to life and not have to always be entertained or have something to do. I think boredom and learning to deal with that is extremely important as a human. Um, but, you know, I, 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 it's funny. I like want to almost debate someone who's like in the tech industry right now and see, like, I'd love to see. Yeah, so you kind of, you, uh, there you go. I mean, I can share my opinion, but which is, yeah, we need to slow down and like, Again, it's not black and white. It's not like anti-tech or for tech. It's mindful tech, maybe. It's a really hard balance because all of these devices and every app that we use is gamified. It's designed to hook you. It's designed to create dopamine. It's, you know, it's designed for addiction. I think that's the flaw. It's the same thing like with capitalism too, like the fact that everything on the, the bottom of it is like a, a monetary gain. You know, I think that's the huge flaw in both of these systems is like, why, you know, I, you know, I read it's like, why, like, there's no like, in capitalism or in our systems, there's no like value to human happiness, or, you know, uh, human pollinators, human health, you know, pollinators, you know, uh, forest <laughs> preservation, like all these things. It's like, yeah, how do you have those conversations if it's not even like valuing like, what is so, um, which gives to our life and our happiness so much? And kind of the same, I guess, with tech, it's like that mindfulness, um, not coming from a place of trying to get all of our attention and sell us something, but like coming from a place of like trying to enrich our lives and like, you know, the algorithms like connect us to our friends better and allow our friends to see our things easier opposed to like, oh, that's only going to see like seven friends are going to see it because you're not half naked or whatever. (laughs) I, I try not to be utopian or ideal. It's very easy for me to to do that um but yeah for me it's just like in my mind it's very common sense like well why aren't these tools working for us to benefit us opposed to like manipulate us and just like that fundamental question i feel like in some of these meetings of these people who make these decisions and i think we may see that change um as capitalism keeps like cracking and deteriorating um and i think that's what i essentially like my time in la um, before I had my son and to my son, it's like, I just realized what really mattered to me and what was purposeful. And it's like, we have hear it in, in movies, like they know it, like Star Wars, it's, you know, a connection between a father and a son, you know, it's, uh, it's family and, and being present with people that you love and, you know, having connection to people and being able to have time to go and, you know, throw a ball around if it's sports for you or like, play an instrument if that's what your kid wants to do or what you want to do, you know? Um, I think leisure time is extremely important for happiness and having a purpose. Some people get a lot of purpose from their career. I could see like why someone who works at Tesla or like SpaceX feels enriched um, and has purpose. I can see like why you work in the tech industry, you know? It's like, there seems like there can be a lot of good done there. Yeah. I think it, it just, again, takes a strong value system and an and a very it takes a lot of effort and we I think you know that can feel difficult I talk about this a lot in my podcast like returning to nature and I call it like a deconditioning it's not a I mean at least for me it's not a pleasant process because it forces you to confront a lot of discomfort both in yeah. your own experience and just in the way that you relate to society as a whole. 
Do you miss anything about your former life? Um, I think some there's days where I was really connected in like the in in the hip hop world and with that community and like going to concerts and just seeing like a whole sold out stadium of people who so in unison are feeling this energy. I mean, I love that feeling. And and I don't know how I ever found myself to be part of that, but I'm so thankful that I am and that I've been able to experience that. And I think there's a part of me that wit that would like to have a balance of being able to connect to that world and tap into it sometime. So, you know, maybe it is making a song or a movie or a photo or something that will help, you know, people connect to that culture and that world. But I think overall, yeah, so I do, there are things I miss and, you know, because I do value people and I love people. Um, and I don't think it has to be like, you don't have to just move to the middle of nowhere and just like grow food seasonally like you can still go to a restaurant or you know if you want mcdonald's like yeah i'm not i'm not like a a purist in any regard i you know i believe in being human and having duality in all of the wisdom that i've learned over my short life i think the thing that i constantly return to is this idea of like a balanced way and a neutral way. Yeah. I feel like when I'm the strongest and I'm taking care of myself, I'm really good at being neutral and listening. Um, there is like that part of me that's an anti-capitalist and wants like radical change and is impatient and and sometimes that shows up as me like being judgmental or like wanting rapid change or like even like being like oh we need to have a civil war like I go to those thoughts in my mind and sometimes if I see you know things I can be challenged to like like I could react to that and I think for me it's like just knowing that like I really do think most people are doing their best with their environments that they grew up in you know what I mean and I, I always think there's a common ground and I really do think something can unify us. And I don't know what that is. I think, I think getting to a place where we all just need to survive and that's really being questioned right now can help unify us, but it's hard to do with all the other noise that's going on right now. Um, for me, the word neutral means trying to find that compassion and not being righteous. Empathy, empathy. Yeah empathy for sure and just yeah being right now listening like you know having more women in power I think would be incredible and you know just having all these questions and really listening as a as a cis white male you know I'm aware that's the best thing I can do right now is not come in a room loud but like listen first you know um so I feel like to sum up like how my 2020 is I'm really just trying to listen can you share maybe a couple practices or a practice that you do that connects you to nature and also to yourself in the process? Yeah. Um, I do like just like daily routines, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Or maybe something that, yes, maybe a seasonal ritual. It could be really anything. Well, in the winter, I usually jump into the Puget Sound, the ocean like every morning. (laughs) every morning yeah I like that not every morning but like 
probably like three or four times a week if I'm lucky. Just for like a minute or two. It's like, you know, the Wim Hof thing. I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. a lot of your listeners that know. It's it's really good. It's better than any cup of coffee. You know, beating that like, oh, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. This is going to be hard thing. Like first thing in the morning, like facing that, you just show up the rest of the day with confidence. Um, I grow mushrooms, uh, mushroom powders and stuff like turkey tail grows really easy around here. So like dehydrating that and grinding it, putting in smoothies and stuff. I, I usually try to fast like 12 to 16 hours most days. So like, you know, I'll eat at like six or 7 PM and then go to like 11 or 12 and then have like a smoothie or eggs or something. I'll do that too sometimes, but I prefer the smoothie. I like to run um going for runs really getting connected to breath and around here it's amazing you can kind of see there's trees around like you just kind of smelling everything for for me like up here right now fall there's like a lot of spider webs there's slugs the birds you kind of see them all like foraging um squirrels are collecting nuts there's you know the, the trees are lush with fruit so it's just just being outside really i always i walk most of the time running is new for me I'm getting more in my body, but these are things that I do. Um, and I, I, I'd say every day I end up going in, in the forest for at least 10 minutes. Like I'll just go for a stroll or it's really easy living on an Island to go to water or to a forest, but people who don't have that, that resource around them, I'd say, I'd say like getting a house plant, tending to that or like trying to grow like basil you know I don't know just little things that you can do like if you're in a city I really love didn't you you would go to like you'd go to the park and you'd eat lunch yeah I go to the water there's something about it being such a contrast to the streets of because I lived right in Manhattan and so being able to go to the water and the Hudson River and just be there was so soothing for me and so I still miss that that contrast of like stepping into a natural place and feeling calm. Um, even though I'm surrounded by natural beauty now all the time, but yeah, I, I, um, Scorpio for sure. Water has that, that effect. It's so cool. I forget. It's like a feist song. She's like, it's about horizon lines or something. And I was like, Oh, it's so nice that she wrote about that feeling. Like, cause there's so many days where I was dealing with something and I just needed to go look at like a, the horizon line of water or something it's weird but it does it it helps it's like therapy <laughs> yeah really helps is there anything else that you would like to share man probably not right now though I can't think of anything I've enjoyed it I, I feel like I want to ask you a lot of questions because I know you're if you don't mind sure I know you I know you kind of moved from New York and you've been up you've been up north now I think Maine Vermont area yeah and I love to just kind of listen to how your experience has been kind of, you know, intentionally making this choice. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty incredible actually. I, I think, you know, I grew up in the country, so I was very connected to the land and to the forests, mostly forests growing up. But like you, I never really thought about it. I never thought that I was like going into nature. And I think as a younger person, you're less conditioned. So you don't, it just, you're more connected to your natural instincts. But being in cities for, I would say since 2005 to 2020, so 15 years, 
I think I really struggled at first to not feel afraid. If I'm being totally honest, I think I would feel, I'm also a very cautious person. I have to caveat that I'm like an extremely cautious person. Like I will never ride a motorcycle. I will always put my seatbelt on, you know, like it's just, I'm very cautious just how I am. And I think there were parts, many parts about nature and the unpredictability and the wildness of it that intimidated me and scared me. And mostly I would say I've talked about this on the podcast because it was unfamiliar, not because it was necessarily inauthentic to who I was as a person or what I felt deep down. But I would say, like anything, the most interesting thing that's happened is as I've almost continually and intentionally immersed myself in nature over the past few months, and in some ways it's like the interaction that I have that is outside of the homes that I've been living in, I feel so much safer than I've than I have before. And I feel... Mm. I feel now I can sense like the nourishment that I get from it. Whereas before I was definitely being nourished because I think biologically, every time we even look at, you know, there's been all those studies that even looking at a tree kind of brings our cortisol down. So I was definitely always being nourished, but I think consciously I was a a little bit uncomfortable and now that has subsided and I can be connected in a really authentic way. And I've actually found um, myself having a lot of flashbacks of childhood because Mm -hmm. that's what I'm, what I remember. Um, Really powerful for me, actually. And I have very good memories as a kid being in nature. Every time I'm in nature now, I have all these like flashbacks to being a child. And it's actually really, um, amazing for me because it connects me to my more like playful younger self, which is in some ways my most authentic self. I think for most people it is too. Wow. That's really special. Yeah. It sounds sounds like, uh, the, you know, I, I, I think I recall you were going to move even despite the pandemic, right? Yeah. Right. And it's, and I imagine that magnified your experience and kind of the isolation, but also probably gave you like, did you feel like, oh, I made the right decision, kind of? A hundred percent. I don't miss New York like I thought I would. Mm. I I think so many people fear connecting to nature because it forces you to connect with yourself in yeah. a way that no other situation will. Um, and I was admittedly like a distraction junkie. Um, you know, I was, and I, it was masked as extroversion. I'm super extroverted, which I always will be. But I think in my mind, I was like, well, I'm super extroverted. So I'm just going out all the time. And like, I was always doing things every single night I had an event or I was, I was just super social. But really what that was, was like a way for me to distract myself from myself. And so I think I'm at a point where I'm, I was really, I had spent about a year prior to moving, quieting that <laughs> and quieting my mind and, and 
not going out as much and sitting with myself and moving through that discomfort. So when I actually physically moved, I was so ready for that experience. I value that awareness, like that you're able to be that honest with yourself into that processing, because I don't know if many people get to that place of like, oh, the reason they're, they have discomfort or don't want these situations is because they have to face themselves. And yeah. And I know that's like a conversation that's kind of happening more like people being aware of like what self-love is or taking care of yourself or what you need. So I'm happy those conversations are happening. Um, it's hard work to do. It's, yeah, it's, you know, and I like, I mean, I, I like that things, you know, people are using the terms like shadow work and stuff and, you know, that's not how I see it, but I get like, I, I know that people are becoming more aware of these things that are inside of us. You know, it's, it's not all light, you know, we have to face that darkness and, I don't know if it's because of psychedelics and my, you know, I, I do, that's another kind of ritual I do is I, I at least once or twice a year do just by myself in nature, always take um, a good dose of, you know, psychedelic mushrooms. And that is medicine for me. You know, I see it as medicine. It's a ritual. It's a very, to me, like religious thing, if you will. Um, and I think that helps me with like face the darkness, know I'm safe feel my connection to everything. No, I'm not always alone. And I think through that process of doing that, you know, through the years has gotten me to a place where like, I really do love being by myself. I like being alone. And I really do value me as a person. And like, you know, by myself, I'm funny. And when I'm with my son, I'm funny and dorky and all these things. And like, it, but I could have a better balance of that. I am extroverted and I'm, obviously there's a community here. I have a great community of friends and family but I find myself sometimes wanting to be alone more now because I made this choice. So I think it is, there's always some type of balance you have to uphold, you know? And it's like really cool to hear your journey and that you're aware of these like things and that you're like, you're like leaning into it now and you're getting experience in it. And I'm excited to continue to to be connected with you and, and go on a hike. <laughs> I feel like, you know, part of, the gift of this podcast for me and hopefully for other people is, is the fact that like, I'm not coming in saying I have it all figured out. I mean, hopefully that's a gift in some ways. There's a lot of imperfection and a lot of um, failure that I've experienced through this process, but that's part of what returning to nature offers me and everyone who embarks on the journey. I'm sure you found that too. Yeah. So I I guess right now it's like, I kind of mentioned earlier, like there's that discomfort. We're all facing some type of comfort. It's like picking what that discomfort is for you. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I think growing up poor for me, like kind of led me to be pretty good at zero and nothing, like knowing I'd be okay. Um, so I'm glad I came from that. And I think it's helped me not be so like worried or like, oh, I need money or I need to have this big house or like something. Do you see yourself living on the island forever? This is a this is a challenging, you know, because I co-parent and um, my my co-parenting partner, Jenna, has decided to go back to Hollywood and she's like living there now. Um it's hard because my life isn't just my own now. I'm 
being present for my son is most important and I might have to move back to like an LA or something. Um, but that's something I'm, as you said, like, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know. I find it extremely intuitively when I listen to my intuition, it does not feel right to leave here. It feels like I have a stable home and something that's really important for Ode here. Yeah. Um, and I think I have to figure out with my like attachment things because of that, because I have been in his life like every day until he was one and then like 50, 50 essentially up until then. So big questions, things I have to figure out, but essentially I'll always do what's best for him first and find a way to adapt and, and make it work. Um, some regard it. <laughs> Are you ready for the last five questions? You know, it's so funny. At one point I like planned for this and I, it's been a while since we, Great. and I'm not, it's so I don't have any plan. Yes. So the answer is you're not ready, but you're going to do it. Okay. First question. Okay. What is your favorite place in nature? Like in the world? Yeah. Oh. should really be prepared for this. All right, I'm just going to say what it's been. I, Me and Ode went up to Mount Rainier re- recently and hiked up there and just like high alpine, you know, the wildflowers, the air. So I'd say high, high altitude mountain areas. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? Mm, I'd say lichen. I like lichen because it's kind of like a, like a fungi, but it's not, oh, my headphones did that thing. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to sit, just say lichen. And do I have to say why? Yeah. If you want to. Um, I just love lichen, like where it grows. Like it could be in the South, like on trees. Um, it's up here in the Pacific Northwest. It like, it needs like a host. So it's like kind of communal in that regard. Um, but it's beautiful in its own. It's edible. It um, is. Yeah, you could eat most lichen, lichen tea. Like my son goes to forest school up here and they always like put put lichen in their tea. Um, I filmed a little short film in, of him in school recently. It's really oh, cute. cute. I'd love to see just, that. Yeah, just kids playing in the forest all day. It's amazing. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives? Um, can I give two? Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I'd say just go outside and put your feet in dirt. Um, just going outside barefoot and taking walks when you can, no matter where you are, just finding some place, even if it's just in grass or something, I think is really just feels good. I think touching trees is really good. Just like feeling bark. Um, it, it like really charges me up. I don't know why. I just feel a lot when I touch trees. And plants, really. Um, oh, the second was, yeah, learn something about the indigenous tribe in whatever area you learn, you live in. Like, what, find out what the tribe was, what land you're on. Find out what you can of their, of their history or, like, wh- how they managed the land or how they lived, I think, is, would be really great. I love that tip. <laughs> I'm going to do that um, for Vermont. I'm going to do that for Vermont. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? Man. Mm. 
I think cyclical process that that I am nature and to like love and respect myself and value myself as much as I do it um, and knowing I'm connected to it. Um, and yeah, the kind of seeing plants grow and fruit, like an apple tree, like at first it flowers and then it turns into a fruit and then that falls and you either eat that fruit or that fruit decays and goes back into the soil. And it's just that regenerative process and like feeling like humans, as far as design had to be designed similarly, you know, just, you know, beyond all religion, like knowing that somehow I'm going to be part of a whole process and finding peace in that. Um, Complete this sentence. Nature brings me. Yummy food. Love it. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Ethan. This was awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Nature with Ethan DiLorenzo. If you're interested in learning more about Ethan, be sure to follow at Our Nature Podcast on Instagram, where he will be sharing more about life in his eco-village on Vashon Island. Be well, and I hope everyone has a chance to get outside sometime soon. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.